podcast this week is guest overload as Jerry Butler storms in to talk about Geostorm. Jason Isaacs drops by. Hello to Jason Isaacs, by the way, to talk about the death of Stalin. And Daniel Radcliffe pops in to talk about Jungle. That is guest overload. All that and more on the movie podcast that, once again, hasn't had time to write a script. But hopefully, they won't notice. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Uh, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Uh, this week, I'm joined as ever, apart from the last two weeks when it's just two people in the room, by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is our West Wing guru, a man who loves to give things a sheen. I really should have written a script. It's James Dyer. Hello. I've seen the new Aaron Sorkin film. I really liked it. There's a surprise, isn't it? Uh, yeah. No, it's not a surprise. Uh, of course, you you um, you are discerning. You if Aaron Sorkin made a bad film. You would call him out, then, wouldn't you? Absolutely, but it's never going to happen. No, you'd write an eighty thousand word oral history. On it. <laughs> yeah, I probably would. Well, yeah, this is this is his directorial debut as well, so it's, it's doubly exciting. He wrote what, it and directed it. What is this? this Tell is, people what it this is. This is Molly's game. This is Molly's game. Jessica Chastain, which yep. is about poker. It is about poker, isn't mm. it? I'm very much looking forward to this. It's going to be a lot of fun to see how that turns out. Also joining us is Jurassic World star, but crucially, not Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom star. We don't know that yet. Well. Mm, I've had words with people in high-powered places. They may have filmed me while I was sleeping. <laughs> no, I think it was just me. Oh. I'd like to, I like to I break into your room late at night and reenact paranormal activity. Oh, chilling. Uh, but yes, it's Nick Dissemblian. Hello. Hello. Hey, hey, guys. You all good? I'm all right. I'm okay. Good. good Excellent. Good. Excellent. Um, yeah, this is, all, this is all being recorded a little bit on the fly this week. Uh, so basically, <laughs> basically what's happened is, about a few weeks ago on the podcast, we got to... Correct me if I'm wrong here, Jimbo. We got to Friday, which is when the podcast goes out, and yes. we didn't have a single guest on the podcast. <laughs> no. And we were just calling around saying, please, please, friend of Empire, come onto the podcast, It was please. Thursday night. It was Thursday night because yeah. um, we had no guests lined up in the podcast. We Usually we, we book things like a few weeks, sometimes even a few months in advance mm. on the podcast. But for whatever reason, something hadn't happened for October, and we just had completely screwed the pooch. And God bless Francis Lee, the director of God's Own Country, uh, for agreeing to come on the podcast. Or actually, we went to him. We went to Yorkshire to, to visit him uh, to do that. And also you and Rian. That was the week. Yes. And there was something we had two guests from from famine to feast. It was yes. amazing. So I guess in an attempt to not repeat that, I've been saying yes to everybody who's been coming into London. I've been just grabbing people off the streets and interviewing them. So that's why this week uh, we have three guests on the podcast. It's why we have a David Fincher special. It's why we're going to have a Red Dwarf special. We may have a Vince Fawn special because Brawl on Cell Block 99 is out this week, but we don't have room for him on the podcast. I hope he doesn't find out because he'll stomp my face. So that's why we have three guests this week. We have three minimum next week. Uh, it'll settle down after that. It's there, fine. There is, as we speak, a queue of A-list celebrities outside the pod booth, <laughs> banging on the door, wanting yeah. to come in and be interviewed. It's yeah. it's, it's quite bad. It's Brawl in, in podcast studio. It is. 2.9. It is. It yeah. <laughs> kind of works. Fight them off with sticks. Kind of works. Uh, it's good though. Everyone we've got is really exciting. I think. Yeah. yeah. No, it's so great. Lots of big names. And, Just uh, long names, but big ones. Yeah, and we've had good chats. And today, Nick and I, you and I, sat at the feet of Jeff Goldblum. We're not fresh literally. from Goldblum. Yeah, uh, on a Goldblum high. Yeah, he, Goldblum, pure one hundred percent uncut Goldblum is still coursing through my veins. That's a little preview of the interview there. That'll yeah, we were in a, the world's smallest elevator with Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. I just shared an elevator with Jerry Butler as well. So So what we'll do is we'll have one of these guests first, and then we'll get on to this week's question. Then we'll have another guest. Then we'll do news. (laughs) Then one more guest, all right? And then we'll do the movie reviews. 
How about that? Does that sound good? It sounds brilliant. All right, okay. So let's start off with Jerry Butler, whose film Geostorm has been much delayed. Uh, Nick was on set of that movie... 14 years ago. 14 years ago. Jerry told me he started filming in 2003. Uh, (laughs) Working title, Weather Puncher. (laughs) I was on the set set of Geostorm uh, January 2015. 2015, okay. In, in uh, New Orleans. Really? 2015? 2015. Jesus. Yeah, so two and a half years ago. Okay. And uh, I haven't stopped going on about it since. I yeah, saw you're... things you people wouldn't believe. You're massively excited about this film, and we'll talk about it uh, later on in the review section. But uh, first of all, let's, let's hear from Jerry Butler himself. I've literally just come from the hotel room where I've been interviewing Jerry Butler. He was a lot of fun on very, very good form. We talk about his recent motorcycle accident, his brush with death, uh, him pretending to crap in public in full view of paparazzi that he didn't know were there, and whether or not he'd paid to go see any of his own films. So here you go. Jerry Butler, this is a lot of fun. I uh, hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Thanks. Who am I thanking? <laughs> I was wondering that. Thanks. Thanks. Oh my god. Anyway, here's Jerry Butler. Enjoy. Uh we're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star of Geostorm, Jared Butler. Way oh, let's pretend we have a room full of people. <laughs> hey, love him. <coughs> We should get some sycophants in here, shouldn't yeah, we? Just we should applaud. Just make me sound more popular than I actually am. <laughs> How are you going? You all right? Good. Yeah, Good. excellent. You've been in the wars this week. You okay? <laughs> yes, I have. But well, it actually wasn't this week. It was two weeks ago. All right, okay. But it came out three days ago. All right, this, okay. This is the, I just want to use this as an example of the, the intelligence of the people that I hang about with because some of my friends were calling me going, no, you've been in another accident? I'm like, no, dude, it's the same one. And they're like, but... But that happened 10 days ago. But yeah. what's, it just came out. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's the same accident. It's just they're now reporting on it. Oh, my God. So, um, oh, my God. So, um, but yeah, it was, uh, it actually has, it's been very inopportune and it's been kind of excruciating because it came in the middle of a worldwide press tour yeah. and two sets of reshoots. Um, oh, and literally, I was going from full day press junkets, two hours sleep, 16 hour filming back into another press junket, back into a 15-hour day, then and straight onto the plane, straight here. It, it's been kind of a crazy time. For a lot of that, I couldn't even walk properly. And Christ. I'd be um, kind of putting on a brave face, walking into these talk shows in New York. I got off, I got out of bed, walked on crutches for a day, and then the next day I was off to do three sets of talk shows in New York. And you start thinking, how am I even going to get from the car to the fucking dressing room oh and then what um, so it was a struggle because I had five fractures in my right foot alone and then you know then two micro fractures in each foot and a lot of fucking bone bruising hell. and tore up my knee and really bad road burn and it felt like for a time for every time that I took a step in my left leg it felt like it was tearing and <laughs> And, and there's me out and about in New York, out and about in LA filming. I had to go through tunnels holding a gun and, and pretend to chase the bad guys. And I'm getting get taken in a buggy just to get to the place that we're going to film. Was a good one. And then six hours of with a gun going through these tunnels, pretending to be the most motherfucking badass role I've ever played. But really, I'm like, ah, this hurts. <laughs> so it's been... Oh my god! Interesting, interesting times. However, yeah, coming off that bike because I, I literally hit that car and saw it coming. You know, I'm going, 
just the way it happened, you know, you're about to go flying through the air and did a somersault and, and landed you know, kind of weirdly on my feet and knees. And, and uh, But then you think about that and you go, there's any amount of ways I could have landed that I, I just wouldn't be here. Or yeah, Christ. I would be here just with my eyes looking down going... Oh my God! What happened? Yeah, so, I'm well, very in, in appreciative mode right now. Absolutely, we, we wouldn't be doing this right now unless yeah. unless you would allow interviews by your hospital bed. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like, and I do that little device where you look at letters with your eyes. You know, <laughs> like like it. It is n- nice to. <laughs> gee, and by the time I say the word geostorm, the interview's over. <laughs> Oh man, that would be amazing. That wouldn't be amazing. That'd be terrible. Obviously, it'd be terrible. But no, nope, you know. no, the truth came out. The nope. truth came out. For that would be amazing. I mean, it would be <laughs> awful. Oh, I'd hate that. <laughs> I hate it if you were hospitalised and had to speak to me using only your yeah. eyes. That would be terrible. <laughs> yeah, no, you wouldn't get the best interview of that. Of course, it, it would wouldn't also work in a podcast. It might work in print, but not in a podcast. That, that's for sure. That's I for just sure. had the most thrilling interview with Gerard Butler, <laughs> and uh, he has the most expressive eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, he can't really move. He's, he's really not what you would expect. He's, <laughs> he's not quite the action star he once was. <laughs> he's mainly metal, but you know, hey ho, it's all good. I'm glad. I'm glad that you're still alive. I'm glad yeah. you're, you're still walking. It's all good. It's Thank all good. You. And uh, and Geostorm is out today. Today, and this is this has been a, a long. We could go right now. We could go to the Odeon Leicester Square for this interview and see Geostorm. It just it's funny because I've been doing interviews all day and sometimes you do interviews and they're recorded yeah. and they go, it's out today and really it's three days before. So <laughs> when people say it's out today, it doesn't hit, but you just said out today. It's the first time it hit me is, oh yeah. my God, it is out today. It's out right now. And we could actually go to the cinema. You could. And watch it if I was really sad. <laughs> <laughs> paying to get in my, that's Jerry Butler paying you, to get into his own movie. You wouldn't have to pay to get in. You uh, just go... <laughs> Look at this. Can you imagine? Try to pay. Great. Going to let me in? I'm, I'm that guy in Geostorm. <laughs> nearly. I, I, I don't care, sir. You have to pay like everybody else. No, but I'm sorry, sir. Move along. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, there's paparazzi taking photos of you getting a knockback to your own movie. That's, they're always there at the worst moments. You're like, I can't believe. How do they know? It's like, okay, he's about to have an awful moment. Let's bring the camera up so we can record it. <laughs> What's the most inopportune moment you've had paparazzi show up? Or <laughs> can you say? Okay. So, <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this one. My buddy Freddie, who's an artist, right? right. And he's crazy. Yeah. So I was like, let's do this. I just had a photo on my Instagram and it's me standing in front of these painted wings on a wall. Oh, wow. Super cool photo. Yeah. That's Freddie. He's, he's got a great imagination. So there was some one artist in New York had put in a wall what will you leave behind uh-huh. and it's like an interesting idea what will you leave behind yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what are you going to leave this planet what what are you going to leave behind? whether it's physical or emotional or, or yeah. informative or wisdom or um but of course freddie thought it'd be funny if i sat next to that and looked like i was taking a crap right so that's what i'm leaving behind <laughs> so i'm like freddie it's a bad idea do it jerry just do it i says freddie it look what if somebody's watching it's fine nobody's watching do it like get down on your hunkers next to what will you leave behind so i do it sure enough paparazzi are taking photos of me looking like I'm taking a crap in the middle of New York (laughs) and he finds out I never found out Uh so one day we're riding along 
And this guy, more a friend of his is on the phone. He's on loudspeaker and he says, um, uh, and he goes, by the way, he doesn't know I'm listening. He goes, so what did Jerry say about those photos? Because he hadn't told me, right? So anyway, I was not very happy. (laughs) But but it just seems to be like they're there. They go, okay, I'm taking nothing, taking nothing. Oh, Jared Butler pretending to take a crap in a New York street. I'm in. There you go. Got you. Bye-bye. I'll be there in five. (laughs) I'm there now. I'm half expecting them to kind of wait, you know, sort of winch themselves down. Down on some sort of like pulley system outside the window. Exactly. Boom, boom, chopper something. Like, Hell, you loudspeaker, you know. Yeah, yeah, got you, Jay. Taking a crap. Thank you for. Okay. Enough of the crap talk. Let's... Enough of the crap. Enough of the crap talk. Um, have you ever paid to see your own movies? Have I ever what? Paid to see your own movies. Have you ever done that? Or are you too scared of paparazzi <laughs> By the way, well, I remember the, the weekend of 300 opening. We yeah. actually did a tour of all the cinemas. And and went round because it's fun to do. And I wore I have this these kind of balaclavas that had a big mustache uh-huh. and, and a beard. And I wore these balaclavas um, with a couple of buddies. And we went round the cinema. It's not like anybody knew who I was at that point. Anyway, I probably got away with it. It was after three hundred. Everybody knew. But um, we went round the cinema. But I went in the Grove and paparazzi took a photo oh, right, okay. of me going in there. And I think that was not the time when I was wearing the balaclava. And it became this thing. Jerry Butler pays to go in and see. You know. Um, and it was like, come on, guys. So, so. <laughs> You're telling about Jackson's. Fast forward to the bits where it's just me. Yeah. <laughs> Can you do that? But that, I have to say, that weekend was so exciting anyway, because you, you knew that weekend something special was happening. And, you know, like it was a, for that time, you know, in 2007, a $70 million opening weekend. And yeah. everybody was just crowds everywhere. So I'm so glad that I did that. We went and we saw an IMAX, we saw all these different cinemas. Bunch of us going in and kind of no, no, that was a it was a kind of great point in in history, or at least for yeah, yeah, for yeah. my history. <laughs> <laughs> what will you leave behind? <laughs> what will you, you leave? Know, behind? What will you leave? I'll leave. I'll leave some podcast episodes behind. Right. Uh, you'll leave. You know. You'll leave three hundred behind. You'll leave a picture of you taking a crap. Gods of Egypt. Gods of Egypt. It's not bad, Jerry. It's not bad. It's not I, love, I love that. I, bounty Hunter. Um, and much as they'll try not to let me leave it behind, I will leave it behind. They, they, it will be forced onto somebody somewhere. Here you go. Take it. I don't want to take it. Take I don't it. Take the fucking. DVD. Uh, who knows what it'll be at that point? Uh, some people will have things drilled yeah. into our eyes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, be one of those things. Put the chip in your eye, fucker. <laughs> <laughs> Did Jerry Butler just try and put a chip of his film of in your eye? Papar- paparazzi <laughs> are there filming it. Jerry Butler took a crap and then tried to put a chip in a guy's eye. Of one of his movies. It's just a normal Friday. <laughs> just, a, just a normal Friday. Um, but yes, what are we talking about? Geostorm. Geostorm. Oh, yes. That one. Geostorm. That one, Chestnut. So this, yeah. is, but this has been a, a hell of a journey for this movie because you started filming this, what, two years ago? 2003. <laughs> 2003. No, a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. a couple of years yeah. it's, it's undergone some, I guess, much publicized files on its way to the big screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what can you say about that and about the, the journey to the... Listen, to I, the I'm actually in the process of doing reshoots for two different movies that I did. It happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and often it's photography you didn't finish during the movie or, you know, you screen it to an audience, you go, okay, that's working great, but yeah, let's yeah. put in it. It's not uncommon. Studios do it in almost every movie. It's just ours got a little more publicized, which was kind of unfortunate. Fact is... The movie comes out. It is what it is on the day you bring it out. And we yeah. now have a fantastic movie. 
It, but it was a lot. Dean Devlin bringing this, creating this whole idea from the day his daughter said, "You know, can't we just build a machine to to protect us against global warming?" That became this this incredible technology that we see unfold. You know, but then Jerry Bruckheimer getting involved and yeah, yeah, of course, introducing a couple of other characters that just buoyed it up, gave it some some extra heart, some humor. It was weird. And, and, you know, for instance, a daughter that was older for me, that was 13, 14, that could give me some shit that we could actually talk about some real life issues and she could comment on my fathering abilities. It yeah. was unbelievable the extra heart that that gave the movie and how much more it said about me as a guy who's really trying hard to be a father he's a good friend to his daughter but he doesn't quite know how to do it you know and and by the time he heads off up to space to 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 um deal with this situation which is obviously very dangerous he realizes god i just don't get my daughter i guess i just didn't realize this is a big deal for her and she knows she's not stupid and she's scared for me and 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 very made the 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 whole action disaster movie aspect so much more emotional Mm. but there's uh it's interesting you didn't uh or not you but you know the uh Danny Cannon and Jerry Bruckheimer. What they didn't put into the movie is something I, I was I was looking forward to when I first heard uh, the the concept of Geostorm, and that's you punching a storm. I wanted to see that, Jerry. If I'm honest with you, I wanted to see you punching weather. Yeah, I, I, you know, I would punch the fuck out of the weather if, if, if they would <laughs> let me. And I did ask, you know. Can I punch a hailstorm or something? Because it's, it's hard to punch a hurricane. Uh, it's hard to. It's hard. It's hard. Or maybe a tsunami. Just it's me. You know, it's, it's funny. I didn't get asked that question. How would Leonidas deal with a geostorm? And you kind of imagine the seven hundred foot tsunami, and he's there with his sword and his shield, and you just see him the ah! It's like gone, gone. He's not even one percent of the size of the wave, but he thinks he can take on, and he gets. One striker. <laughs> I just, I, I, I was transfixed by the reports recently of people shooting at the, uh, the the storms in the states, the hurricanes in the states. Oh, I didn't know they that. Literally shoot their guns, <laughs> so and they had to be told not to fire bullets at the uh, at the massive wind. Oh, was yeah. that right? Yeah, they had to be told because obviously the you know, the hurricane could take the bullets and fling them around. And oh, isn't that interesting? It could be dangerous to people. But that would be hilarious if a guy yeah. shoots a bullet at a hurricane. It comes back, hits his best friend in the head. That's a movie right there. Yeah, yeah, oops, I shot my friend through a hurricane. Yeah, suicide by wind. It's uh, it's interesting. Uh, so Jerry. What are you going to do next? Are you going off to punch a storm, or are you going to go see yourself in Geostorm right now? Um, I would go and see myself in Geostorm because it's so amazing. But I got to fly to Italy to do more press, more and then fly to do some filming in Bulgaria. So, all right, great. and then I'm done. Well, best done. luck with that, and best luck with the recovery. Cheers. It's all good, Jerry Butler. Thanks very much. All right, man. Thank you. Jerry Butler there, and uh, now we're going to start off with the uh, the this week's reader's question, which comes from Carl from Wolves, who thinks fairly regular question poser on the old show. Uh, and he asks, quite simply, thank God, because none of us had the time to prepare for anything, uh, <laughs> what films are you looking forward to next year? What film, he says film, singular. So we can only pick one. I'm not going to give him a singular answer, I'm going to give him many answers. Well, no, because there's more than one Marvel movie coming out next year. Oh so. my God! <laughs> is there I hadn't noticed 
Go the on. answer's Meg, right? It's Meg. It's sorry, Meg. Sorry. It's all about the Meg. I'm going to cut this short, but... Le Meg. The, sorry, the, the Meg. Meg. Le Meg. Not to be confused with The Nun, which is another three-letter... That's a movie I'm looking forward to. Which one? The, the Meg or The Nun? Both, okay. obviously. One has a state in it, and one, one has, has a creepy nun. Yeah, exactly. But which is which? Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> yeah, shout out to uh, Corin Hardy, who's directing The Nun, who has been Corin very Hardy! busy making a pumpkin for every day of the month. Yeah, that's um, amazing. Yeah, which is incredible. Yeah, he's yeah. been he's been doing a kind of pumpkin Halloween challenge, and he's yeah. been carving. He's very pumpkins. dexterous, Corin Hardy. Do you not have a lot of work at the moment. Or? I think he's pretty busy finishing off the nun. Um, that so sounds, that so sounds many wrong. poorly chosen that words. Sounds wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to the pumpkins quickly. Uh, there are excellent. If you want to see Corin's pumpkins again, I, so many poorly chosen <laughs> words. Go online and you can see Corin's pumpkins. Wow. wow. <laughs> Do you have to pay for extra for this? Is there a paywall? Do you insight. have to subscribe? Do you have to have a credit card? Um, the Corrin's... photos are a bit blurry, but you can see them. They are visible. Hardypumpkins.com. <laughs> Sorry, Corin. So, wh- what are we looking forward to? Chris, I'm going to... I reckon I got yours covered. Why don't you start? No, James. I was going to come to you first. Oh, oh well, While yeah. I have a quick look at <laughs> launchingfilms.com. <laughs> Okay, okay. Just, I'm going to try with the less obvious ones because it, we um, all we all know what I like. Yes, we Infinity War is going to be the the cinematic event of next year. I don't think yeah. there's any real. Argument I'm spending about that. most of April with my trousers off in anticipation. <laughs> I have no doubt. Um, Soldado is out next year. That's Soldado. quite exciting. No, Spurs sold him a couple yeah, of years ago, mate. Dreadful human being. Uh, it's not Denis Villeneuve. Uh, who's directing it this time? Who is it? I've forgotten. I've forgotten who's doing it. Uh, Jeff Villeneuve. Jeff uh, Villeneuve <laughs> is doing it. Uh, Jeff, his uh, his lesser known sibling. Uh, I don't know. I'm interested to see what that is. I spoke to Benicio del Toro about that earlier this year. Sorry, uh, you dropped something. I did. Yes, <laughs> I dropped Benicio. Sorry, uh, and he seemed quite excited about it. At least I, I think he was. It was quite. He was a little incoherent, if I'm honest with you. But it was interesting, and I do want to see it. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, quite looking forward to that one. Weirdly, I'm also strangely looking forward to Wreck It Ralph too. Ralph breaks the internet. Yeah, uh, and let me tell you why. I didn't like Wreck It Ralph uh, at all. <laughs> okay, this is a good place to start. <laughs> no, honestly, because I'm a massive uh, gamer, and I think uh, Wreck It Ralph. Oh, yeah, some have promised said. it. <laughs> promised that it would be, you know, uh, a game that poked a lot of fun and knowledge at uh, at lots and lots of sort of video game properties. What it actually was was a. Um, uh, a film about go-karts and sweets which managed to poke fun at the two or three video game properties they'd bothered to buy the rights to reference. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was a massive missed opportunity and it really kind of rubbed me up the wrong way and I, I didn't... You know, it was a nice story, it was fine, but I thought they, they really did miss the opportunity to to delve into that source material. It looks like they've addressed that in Ralph Breaks the Internet. Not so much with games, but it's about online stuff. So... The footage that I saw at D23, there's sort of spam bots they get attacked with when they go on the internet. There's an incredibly sort of... um knowing sequence where they go to the disney.com website uh-huh. and it's essentially just full of disney properties like and uh the star wars characters are there marvel characters are there and uh penelope uh or vanellope i should say sits down with all the disney princesses and there's a really really funny sort of quite self-referential scene there it made me think that there's a lot more for grown-ups in this one can i offer a contrasting um, view you can this sounds yeah. terrible no <laughs> Um, it's not, it sounds, honestly. It's got a whiff of emoji movie about it. I'm not selling this and, well at all. Yeah. It I, I, am, I am more than a little worried he will attempt, Ralph will break the internet by recreating the Kim Kardashian uh, bum photo. To be fair, judging by the tone, that could well happen. I, I went to a special sort of pick and mix screening of this film. Of course you did. They That's gave why us you free pick it. and mix, and I can't remember. It's just a sugar haze. I woke up four days later covered in cola bottles. Um, <laughs> but I think I enjoyed it a bit. Yeah. But I mean, none of that really matters because I know you're looking forward to Fifty Shades Freed, which is out next year. Of so course, that's exciting. Of course. Mm. 
Absolutely. I sat gonna... behind Jamie Dornan recently at um, uh, at a performance of The Ferryman, the play with Paddy Constantine in it. And it was interesting because obviously that play is set in Northern Ireland and there was a there was me sat beside sat behind Jamie Dornan and the Northern Irish accents on stage. And they passed muster. Okay, good. So they did. All right. Can good. I just um, can I just chip in at this point that the director of Soldado is uh, named Stefano Solima and he's done some Gomorrah episodes because we didn't we didn't give him a name not, Jack not Jake Villeneuve as we'd heard. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that film as well. I really, really like Sicario. Mm. Um I I just hope it lives up to that. Apparently, this film is so dark it makes. Um, apparently, Villeneuve has said it, it makes Sicario look like a comedy. So there's that to look forward to. Oh, great. Cheery, cheery That's winter months. Just what we need in 2017. Um, the Irishman, uh, the Scorsese film, it's bringing back Pesci. It's putting Pacino yep. and De Niro back together again. That is exciting. That that's got to be on your. That's got to be high yeah. on anyone's list of, yeah, of things that are exciting. Yeah, uh, The Predator is high on my list. Shane Black returning to the franchise. Uh, I was on set of that. Looks really good. Very excited about that one. Yeah, that's also that also sounds good. Yeah, obviously, I think people know what I'm excited about. There's a lot of films that are coming out in the uh, January February period because we tend to get the Oscar movies then. That um, I'm really excited to uh, that I, that I've seen. So I think we've all seen Three Billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, mm, which is fantastic. We've all seen Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water, which is which is incredible. I've seen Paddy Considine's Journeyman, which is which is brilliant, great performances. Um, so those three, I'd be looking for. I'd be telling people to look out for. Uh, from a blockbuster standpoint, yeah, Predator, the Marvel stuff. I'm intrigued to see. Uh, you know, Black Panther. You know that that looks amazing. It really the, does. For Ragnarok screening this week, the Black Panther trailer uh, elicited a huge round of applause and I just, I've got a feeling in my bones that I, that film is going to be huge. And yes, I'm going to mention my wife here, you drinking game aficionados so because tedious. she, she watched that film, uh, that she watched the trailer for that film this week and she nearly cried and it was amazing uh, because she, you know, she turned to me and said, this is the movie I've been waiting for all my life. I really hope that they, they live up to these expectations because I just think it's going to be... It, it could be amazing. I think yeah. Ryan Coogler is a, an amazing director, so... Got a bigger crossed. bigger cheer than the Star Wars trailer did, in fact, before Ragnarok, which was interesting. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. I wasn't checking with my old decibel level thing. I see, I was. Thing, but, okay. uh, should we, we should probably also say, the uh, while we're on the Marvel subject, the Fox, two Fox Marvel movies. We've got Dark Phoenix, which is something which Three. interests me. Three, what's the, and we've got New Mutants. What's the third one? Oh, Deadpool. Deadpool, Deadpool two. 2, yes, that's Deadpool right. Deadpool 2. Uh, New Mutants trailer kind of oh I was very I'm intrigued by that I don't know if it'd be any good but I'm I'm intrigued by an X-Men horror film that's that's fascinating yeah I didn't like the trailer at all uh, I did actually I thought it looked like um, it was like oh we're doing a, a mutant movie as a, as a horror movie yeah but the horror movie looks utterly generic so what are you bringing to the table here well, my concern is more the peril because like the whole point of those kind of moves is you are imperiled and you are disempowered compared to whatever it is that's stalking you but they're all super mutants so yeah, but also it doesn't have a stalker movie uh, structure. So, for example, are some of these mutants that you would normally think would be unkillable in the, within the confines of another, uh, a normal movie, mm. are they going to be picked off one by one, for example? Does it work like that? Is there a killer in the midst? I'm intrigued to see what happens, but I, I wasn't blown away by that trailer mm. at all. all right. um, I'm, 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 tr- I'm looking forward to three 
hard-edged crime movies that are going to be coming out next year, uh, only one of which has a date at the moment, which is, I think it's Drew Goddard's Bad Times at the El Royale. And there's also Drew um, Pierce's directorial debut, the co-writer of Iron Man 3, Hotel Artemis, which mm-hmm. is an incredible cast, including Jeff Goldblum. We should have asked him about it, Nick. We, we didn't. <laughs> Top journalists, hello! And uh, last but not least is the next film from S. Craig Soller, uh, Dragged Across Concrete with um, Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn. And I've got a sneaky suspicion that's going to continue his kind of reign of bloody terror that he's yeah. established with Bone Tomahawk. Annihilation, you've got to be excited about that. Yes, uh, very much so. Alex um, Collins' film. Alex Collins' new sci-fi film, which sounds really cool. Um, Halloween. Halloween, mm. uh, yeah, the Halloween reboot. Yes, indeed. Brides, mm-hmm. Which is exciting. Um, what else? Mortal Engines, which is uh, Peter Jackson. Uh, he's done the script with Philippa Boyens and Fran Walsh. Uh, he's not directing but um, that's going to be cool, I think. Incredibles and, um, two is next year, isn't it? Incredibles two is mm. next year. Incredibles. And I gotta, I gotta put a shout out to Gnome Alone, which is, I, I am not kidding, a home invasion movie involving a gnome. Amazing. I don't really want to see that. None of us have mentioned Solo, a Star Wars story. Mm. Weird, weird that. Are you, uh, are you looking forward to Solo, a Star Wars story? I would posit you'd be looking forward to Han, a Star Wars story, a little more. I, 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 I'm. I, I have concerns. I have concerns. I mean, I have no doubt that Ron Howard will do a decent job turning this around, but I my issue with it is not whether it will be good. My issue with it is whether it should be at all. Um, and <laughs> the answer yeah. to that is no. As I think I've said on this podcast many times, it bothers me immensely. that the, I don't want to know why Han Solo's called Han Solo. Why can't Solo just be his name? I hope he's named after the guy from the Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> yes. That would be a game changer. <laughs> Um, yeah, I just, I just. Do you think I, there'll be porgs in it? Are they now just going to stuff porgs into every Star Wars film? <laughs> you don't choose the porg life, Nick. The porg life chooses you. Um, um, yeah. So the, the name is confirmed this week. Let's see how we're mixing movie news yeah. into the into the question. Who said we weren't prepared? The Meg <laughs> Solo, a Star Wars story. We talked about the Black Panther trailer. My God, we're nailing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the 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 name this may be because it's the most obvious, straight down the middle choice, and also it kind of irked me a little bit because very few people in Star Wars refer to him as Solo and, and fans Grido, isn't it? Jabba and refers to him as Solo yeah. obviously Finn calls him Solo at one point but he gets yes, admonished yeah. for that uh, and fans know him as Han mm. we, no one calls him Solo Chewie might you wouldn't know would you no I think by, by this point Chewie probably has some sort of some a pet name yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Porkface <laughs> Porkface but you know, um, hey, listen, you know, how hard can it be to to mess that movie up? I, look, it's it's intriguing. I think we're all curious about it. So I think we've we we're apprehensive but excited. Correct, which is exactly how I feel <laughs> about Johnny English Three, which is also coming out next year and is my actual answer to the most anticipated film of twenty eighteen. Isn't it called Johnny English Reborn? No, that was the last one. That was the last Johnny English. <laughs> three, did you say Johnny English Threeborn? It, it should have been it called be that. Freeborn. Yeah. Um, is there is there a Fantastic Beast film next year? Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Right. Well, moving on. Right. Uh, so if you want to have your, if you, if you want to, are you looking forward to Fantastic Beasts two? I wasn't looking forward to Fantastic Beasts one, and my expectations were met. Nick, you were on set of Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. Are you looking forward to the sequel? Um, I was disappointed by Fantastic Beasts. There has be never been a more beige film made. Well, I, I, I yeah, I mean, I, I was genuinely excited about the first one because uh, the Niffler sounded awesome, and I, you know, there just was not enough beasts. It should have been much more about the beasts, and there was way too much Grindelwald titting about. And 
clouds <laughs> trashing CG buildings. I I didn't love it, but you know this next one's in Paris, so. Uh, Ooh, well, that's well, good. Yes, Zuta Law is what yeah. I say. All right. Okay. Well. Fingers crossed. If you want to have your question read out in the Emperor Podcast, you can do so via a number of means. Get in touch with us uh, by tw- get in touch with us by Twitter. Get in touch with us via Twitter, uh, where we're at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast, just like Carl from Wolves did. Well done, Carl. Uh, you can also Facebook us where we're at Empire Magazine. Although to be honest, we never really look at that. And then of course there's the email podcast. It's true, but podcast at EmperorOnline.com. Twitter, email. That's the best way to get in touch with us. Time now for another guest in this cavalcade of guests. Who should we have next, guys? We've got Jason Isaacs, we've got Daniel Radcliffe, we've got Jason Isaacs, we've got Daniel Radcliffe. Who, who, tell you what, we'll go Daniel, we'll go Daniel Radcliffe. Okay. All right, so uh, it's Daniel Radcliffe. You know him. He's been in some movies. Uh, Harry Potter, Harry Potter 2. <laughs> Harry Potter Harry 3. Potter 3. <laughs> the Return of Harry Potter. <laughs> Swiss Army Man. Two Harry, two Potterus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A load of Harry Potters, uh, basically, and uh, and now he is appearing in Greg McLean's Jungle as a bloke what gets lost in the jungle. That's my understanding of it, anyway. Yeah. Uh, Nick went along to the BBC. Yes, I interviewed him effectively in a, in a cupboard, but it wasn't one under the stairs. I interviewed him in a cupboard at the BBC last time we had him on the podcast as well. Maybe that's he, he insists on doing all interviews in, the, in a cupboard at the BBC. Does he live in the BBC? Inside the walls, like Gary Busey and Hyder in the house. <laughs> John Luckley. Is it? The evidence is overwhelming. <laughs> well, well, that's an exclusive. There you go. So here we are. Uh, Nick went to Daniel Radcliffe's house at the BBC to talk to him, and uh, they had a grand old time. You know what? You will too enjoy. Thanks. We are delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast for the fourth time by Mr. Daniel Radcliffe. Really? How fourth are you, sir? Time? Fourth. Wow, that's that is good going. Um, yeah, thank you very much. For that may be the back. record. We're uh, not sure. Oh, good. I mean, we, you gonna you should start some sort of like you know Empire Podcast Five Timers Club like SNL has, absolutely, and then yeah. get me back so I can join. Um, <laughs> I think yeah. it's you and Simon Pegg in the in the in oh, the cool. in the lead. So, yeah. So you you last talked to us for Swiss Army Man. Yeah. Which is another film where you're in the middle of nowhere yes. and looking quite uncomfortable. At all yeah, the points. it was I, it was weird because I think I made um, I read the script. Oh no, no, I must have known I was going to do Jungle by the time I did Swiss Army Man. But I think I uh, went on to um, yeah, I, I at least knew Jungle was going to be happening by the time I was promoting Swiss Army Man or by the time I was doing it. So I was spending the whole time going like, yeah, I'm kind of doing this film and then I'm going off to make the very very serious version of this film which is not funny or weird at all I mean it's, there's some weird moments in Jungle but there was like a lightness to parts of Swiss Army Man which just and particularly from my point yeah. of view it was a lot of fun uh, but yeah with Jungle is like no there's there's not there's none of that um, the whimsy has gone <laughs> and the wind um, this is far, this is the fart free version this is yeah this is if you um, like Swiss Army Man but objected to the amount of bodily uh, functions this is this film is marginally better but actually not that it's still pretty gross at times but not because of farting related things yeah and it kind of proves that it's harder to survive in the wild without what our Chris Hewitt refers to as a boner GPS yeah, it's much harder <laughs> yeah absolutely no yeah the um, yeah the, the god that was that's also one of my favourite pieces of acting by Paul Dano in that film and it was a thing because I I know we should be talking about Jungle but the um, but on Swiss Army Man there was a great moment where you know we're trying to communicate to the audience the idea that that Manny's erection has suddenly uh, that when he starts to feel 
warm happy emotions his uh his erection works as a compass pointing the right direction like and there are no lines explaining that there are no there is no dialogue i think really that i think i think maybe he uh, paul has one line but he did he just did that thing of like using his hand as a sight to like line up uh line up like alongside manny's dick and i just thought that was just like a really great choice it made me it really made me laugh yeah, and they're very different films. Yes. Um, they are very, very different films. But how, how did they compare the experience of shooting? Because was Jungle a one-month shoot? I know, Jungle was a little more than that. Jungle was, uh, we did about three and a half weeks in South America, in Colombia, and then we did about three and a half weeks in uh, Australia. And then on Swiss Army, my man was probably, I think Swiss Army was 23 days total. And so um, it was, and also Swiss Army, man, I would say, you know, it has, there is absolutely a darkness and a sadness and a reflectiveness to it, but there's also a lot of fun. And we were doing really fun stuff every day. We were filming in forests rather than jungles. And that actually makes a huge difference because they're also all, they're all accessible by roads. So, you know, and it was, it was, that made it much easier. Whereas on jungle, uh, there was a couple of sets where we were, you know, hiking two miles to get into the set and which is, you know, all right for us actors but when you talk about the camera crew who are shifting very heavy equipment in you know it's it was it was definitely uh it was as as compared to other film shoots it was definitely harder than average yeah and i mean you you put yourself through the ringer on this one especially in the second half of the film and Mm. i've seen more than one review that's name checked the machinist the christian bale film um, which is a big compliment i mean it's a huge compliment and i also should say that you know i don't i literally i do not know how he did that um he you know he's a much bigger guy than me and a and a i think he'd just been playing batman or had been about to play Batman. i mean so he'd gone from that to that i cannot imagine what how he even did it i mean i yeah i also don't want it there's a thing there is a phenomenon that happens with actors playing particularly when actors are playing real people or based on a true story and you know they are uh it's a phenomenon particularly with boxing films and with war films and when people are playing soldiers um actors love telling you how hard they worked and how like what how grueling the process was when actually what they're describing is just somebody else's everyday job like somebody just does that every day and they don't walk around asking to be called spectacular for it um and so i'm very conscious with this film like i don't want to say oh it was really tough because somebody actually lived this and no matter how bad it was i'm all, i'm still going back to a hotel at the end of the night um but yeah having said that i didn't i also didn't think it would be appropriate for me to get to the end of the movie and look well fed um so there were so i did yeah i tried to lose a bunch of weight nobody really asked me to so anytime i felt like you know grumbling about it which i didn't really but like that thought was immediately squashed by you did this to yourself the director did not ask you to do this um but uh, yeah, I thought it was, I also thought it, I would have felt kind of guilty. Like I would really have felt like I was cheating somehow. Not that acting has, you don't have to live everything. I'm not a method actor, but you, I, I just think I would have felt weirdly guilty uh, playing this guy who had suffered a lot and just being really happy and content and full of food all the time. Right. And uh, the media, us guys, love stories about actors transforming. And I saw yeah. you recently debunked. There was a rumour going around that you were eating only one hard-boiled egg a day. One hard-boiled egg a day. I have no idea where it came from. He eats an egg in the movie at one point. <laughs> he, like, finds an egg on the ground, like this unhatched baby bird egg, and he, he has to eat that. I'm thinking maybe it's come from that. Um, but, yeah, I ate a fillet of uh, white fish or a chicken breast for lunch every day and a protein bar for dinner for the two weeks before shooting. And then for the two days of 
um, actual shooting or like the two days around shooting I didn't eat I just had a lot of coffee um, which is, is a terrible way to lose weight anybody who's trying to lose weight do not do it like that it's very unsafe and really bad for you and it was and it really screwed my head up as well I have to say like I, I definitely because uh, this weird thing happens where you um, start to you know you see yourself differently and you see yourself in the mirror you know a stone or so lighter and you look really striking but no one says striking everyone says oh my god you look amazing but what they mean is like you look really amazing for this film (laughs) but after a while if that sort of gets reinforced you start to think like when when i was i definitely found it really hard to to see myself at the size i was before nor and see that as normal by the time we got to the end of the show it was, it was very strange right yeah. uh, there is a scene in, in this film where you battle a snake uh, were there any yeah. slytherin jokes made on set or was oh, it probably i don't know maybe behind my back i don't know <laughs> like um um no i don't think there was um was that a real snake for a certain moments it was real and then mm. and then obviously not the moments where I bashed his head in um, mm. but uh, yeah no there was there was um, I don't know if there were any, any potter jokes made although like if they were I definitely wouldn't have like minded I did like I, I did actually start affectionately it, I very very rarely make potter jokes or use potter as a reference point because I think it just weirds people out but sometimes it is just the only thing that comes to mind and we our focus puller on this was a genius of a focus puller who did also look like Hagrid I mean he was the, <laughs> he's this massive uh, Kiwi guy called Luke and he's 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 one of the, he's also one of the best focus pullers I've ever worked with like that fo- focus pulling is th- the job i would least like to have on set how would you with. describe it to people listening who are- so um it, when you you know move back and forwards in front of a camera um their focus puller has to make tiny tiny adjustments to keep you in in sharp in focus all the time um and lots of other things can influence that depending on like what lens you're using like if you're using a really wide lens and you start miles back and come into a massive close shot it's really really hard to do without going fo- without going uh, without going into blurry sort of soft focus for a second we never had any like thing with Luke where we have to go back and do it again for him like it was it, there's, and there's always going to be one on a film and everyone understands like it's just a thing it's an incredibly hard job if you start focus pulling underwater then you have to start accounting for how light refracts underwater like it's maths and it's spatial awareness it's just it's everything I'm bad at um, <laughs> and so yeah I uh, but he was he was amazing is it, I mean is, is there a role a crew role that, that if you weren't an actor that you think you'd quite like to do I mean I think it's generally agreed upon that the best job on set if you can get it is stills photographer oh, uh, that's like and, and I don't mean to like I'm sure there's a lot of stills photographers out there now going hey 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 we don't get it so easy but you know it's it's a it's a cool it's a cool job you, you're there to photograph the film you make amazing images all day you kind of don't have to stay all day like you mm. should but there's a lot of people can go home early um, so it, I think like when we've been sitting around on set going like if you had to pick another job that yeah. would be the one to, to do yeah. are, you, are you a bit of an amateur photographer no you? not at all no. I would be terrible I'd be a very bad still photographer um, but <laughs> all I out would, of focus uh, the wrong film yeah no just <laughs> terrible like yeah no it would not be good but but I've worked with I've worked with lots of great still photographers as well but I always I think they've got it they've got it very nice but you know so do actors I wanted to uh Go back to Swiss Army Man quickly. Yeah, it's, sure. a, it's a film that's, that, you know, has elicited a lot of strong reactions on both sides, I imagine. We gave it five stars. We loved it. Yeah. Um, have, you, have you had people coming up to you and and having conversations who didn't get it and, and are kind of like, what, why did you do this? No, I think the only people that come up and talk to me about it are the people that get it. 
the money uh, heads. I, I, yeah, I think they are. I think they just. You, I think if you didn't get it, you probably would be embarrassed to even mention it to me. Like, why did you do that weird film? You must be so ashamed. But like, I'm, I, yeah, I love that movie. I can't wait to see what the Daniels do next. I hope I'm able to work with them again because um, I just think I think they're amazing, and I, uh, yeah, they're they're incredibly exciting. And and I have had a lot of people. It's amazing actually how many people actually ended up seeing that super weird low budget indie movie that we made about something very very strange and it's and it's really um yeah it elicited like wonderful reactions from a lot of people and somebody even i saw myself introduced i think you know whenever somebody doesn't mention harry potter they are there there is a conscious effort being made i think on their part but i there was some article the other day that i saw that introduced me a swiss army man actor daniel radcliffe i was like hey thanks guys that's cool that's cool yeah um last time we were on the podcast you you talked about paul dano and and how he's a real cinephile and and knows a lot more about films and sees more films than you have you had a chance this year to um to see anything so we're kind of compiling our top 10 films of the year lists in the office oh god Uh, Um, this is the awful question to put because whenever someone asks me this and my brain freezes but oh yeah that's the thing i've i've seen a pattern recently emerging again amongst a lot of like actors and it's like I'm, I am again thinking specifically of myself and Dane and a couple of other guys that I know in America who we all watch kind of the same things we watch absolute like crap reality TV and documentaries and like nothing in between I don't find watching films very relaxing um, I have to really like the film I'm most excited about seeing and have been most excited about seeing for some times is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri like that that is because I'm a fan of that writer and I'm a fan of his directing and you know I just want to see it but generally speaking I don't like go that uh, you know I if I if a film is uh, like my girlfriend loves going to the movies and loves seeing films and I and I do as well and I love them when, I love them when I love them <laughs> but like when I if I don't like it then I just wish I wasn't watching it and if I do like it then I'm kind of jealous of everyone in it in which I was so there's a, it's like watching movies good or bad is always not relaxing which is a terrible thing to admit to um, or a terrible thing to say I'm sure people but um, and I should watch more but uh, yeah I watched Manchester by the Sea the other day I thought that was that's uh, an intense yeah, one good yeah um, I have to circle back to your your rea- crap reality TV yeah uh, so what, totally. what, are we, what are we talking how crap I mean various like I don't actually regard come down with me as crap at all I think that's like quite highbrow reality TV I also think Top Chef in America is very highbrow reality okay, TV but it's very bad. good but then no 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 it goes right the way down to like Millionaire Matchmaker <laughs> and uh, what else I mean Dinner Date um, obviously my friend has just applied to go on Dinner Date I am very excited about the prospect of watching that happen um, but uh, yeah like so just stop like, like that. that kind of a decompression thing I interviewed Viola Davis once and she was in her trailer watching Say Yes to the Dress right. like yeah. a marathon of that just I guess to brilliant sort of well I just don't think you want to like step off an acting set and watch more acting mm. like I, and that's why I think I like documentaries so much as well is that I just I find it uh, I just find it so much more compelling um, and find myself more invested um, and, uh, and but I think with with the crap TV, yeah, there's just something great about um, you know I read as well. Like I try and do other stuff that makes my mind not turn to mush. But like I, I think sometimes it's very acceptable to let your mind turn to mush for a half yeah. an hour. Top Chef the book, <laughs> top, yeah, Top Chef the book. It is. I'm sure there is a cookbook, and I'm sure I could achieve none of it in real life. <laughs> and so I guess you retain stuff from from each movie you do. So from Jungle. What, are there any survival tips? What's the best survival <laughs> no. tip you can offer in case an Empire reader gets? Um, I would say, <laughs> I can only say what um, what Yossi said to me about um, 
just that he was fighting against it for the first week and that he really viewed the jungle as an enemy for the first week that he was out there and that as soon as he sort of accepted his situation and accepted himself as a part of nature rather than something that was fighting against him, um, he said he actually, as of that moment, pretty much knew he was going to survive and actually felt quite happy and was able to enjoy some of the la- some of the moments in the last two weeks he was out there way more than you think would be possible. So yeah, I would say that is uh, just like accept and 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 find your inner nature and just let that go because I still can't make a fire. You know, I've come out of this with nothing. I'm I'm just as screwed as anybody who's listening to this is. But on a philosophical level, you're at one with the snails. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just really really go zen about it, and uh, and I think you'll probably be fine. Just have a sit down. You'll <laughs> just be- have a sit down. <laughs> yeah. Meditate. Have a, like a quiet moment to yourself then you'll probably be all right and someone will just find you. (laughs) On that note, uh, Daniel Radcliffe, thank you so much. (laughs) No worries. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. Okay, so that was Daniel Radcliffe there and now it is time to delve deep into this week's news. Uh, We've already covered some of the the big developments this week, Solo and the other stuff, uh, in the the question part. But anything else? Jimbo, what's been on your mind this week? What's been coming up? Well, looking on the Empire site, apparently we did a David Fincher podcast special. That's pretty exciting news. Okay. Yeah, I guess, yes, technically speaking, that is news. Uh, what else have we got? We have got. I'm genuinely. Are you going to the Empire website for am, movie news? I am genuinely on the Empire website. Oh my friend! Looking... I, need, I need to disabuse you of, <laughs> of a few notions here. The Punisher has a date. The Punisher TV show has a date. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. After his wife got killed, it's good that he's getting back in <laughs> yes. the game. Seventeenth of November, that will drop. Oh, on right, Netflix. Okay. Very exciting. Yep. So that's the thing. No, that's the Punisher. That's all. Here's some other news I should mention that we have this very day released the latest in our Empire Classics series with our sci-fi one-shot, which is on sale now in all good I'm good, and evil I, news I, agents. I'm performing a news intervention. <laughs> Wait, I, I don't me... think James should be allowed to do news. He doesn't know what it, news is. We have to that said, shot. my first item is about the trailer for John Claude Van Damme's new Amazon but show. That's fine. That's news. Yeah, that's see, news. Yeah, thank you. See, Jimbo, that's just a series of Empire-related releases that you're talking about. Look, I'm on good. message. What can I tell you? It's good. No, no, it's fine. It's good. It's brand loyalty is is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So uh, you can get this this one shot. It's out now, and it's got lots of uh, essays about the great science fiction movies of all time in there. And uh, you can also listen to David Fincher talking to Helen O'Hara. So all good, Nick. Hello, Jean Claude Van Johnson. What what what's that? Yeah, well, it's a new Amazon show. There was a pilot last year, and it is coming as a full series this December. Mm-hmm. And I think it looks pretty cool. Um, the idea is that uh, Van Damme, while well, you think he's been a movie star, has secretly been an assassin. Um, when the movie star thing is a front, and so it is following his adventures as he goes around killing people <laughs> and um, doing the splits. I presume. This wow. Pretty regularly. Sounds worse than killing Gunther. <laughs> Obviously, Van Damme has gone meta before. He did that uh, movie JCVD, which was actually surprisingly good. Mm. Um, look, you either like Van Damme or you don't. I like Van Damme very much. I find him very entertaining. He is a very eccentric dude. And this looks fun, I think. I'm going to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will also listen to your regular reports. <laughs> okay. About this. Well, there we go. All right. Well, that is actual news. So that is actual there news. You go. Jimbo, you've had a few minutes to come up with some actual news. Do not <laughs> disappoint me. All right. All right. Here's one. Here's one. Uh, Andrew Kevin Walker is writing Lone Wolf and Cub for Justin Lin, which is quite exciting. Has anyone ever read Lone Wolf and Cub? 
no. Nope, neither have I. Uh, but it is indeed a, a comic slash graphic novel thing about a samurai executioner, which is very mm-hmm. exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I don't know, Andrew Kevin Walker, I'm a big fan of his work. So, And this is supposed to be really good. This is one of the things, like Lock and Key, which has been on my I must read these comics list for a very long time and I've never got around to doing it so perhaps this will be the thing that spurs me to read it and then enjoy the film that much more fantastic I, I do have the Criterion Collection uh, Lone, Lone Wolf and Cub series and of course we've seen Road to Perdition which is Lone Wolf and Cub <laughs> and if you watched Liam Neeson's Run All Night a few years ago that was also Lone Wolf and Cub beat for beat pretty much Should we talk about Netflix quickly? Shall we? Just generally, what's on? What have you been watching next this on is Netflix? Big, this is big news, actually, uh, because we may need to go back and re-record our, what we just talked about, the, the films next year, because Netflix have announced they will be releasing 80 original films. Are they all sequels year. to Bright? They are. <laughs> 78 of them are, but there are two original ones. Seriously, um, 80? 80 original 80 films. films. So to put, that, put it in a bit of context, this year they released 24. Uh-huh. Um, wow. And uh, 80 next year. So they're saying, How? Are they buying movies and then releasing them? No, this is, they're making 80 films. They're making 80. They're so not just... The Irishman is one of them, um, so I don't know what the other 79 are, but um, yeah, some of them are going to be kind of small indie type things, and other ones are going to be blockbustery ones. But um, What's the hell. biggest one? The biggest one? Well, Bright is this year, isn't it? So beyond that, I guess I guess The Irishman, that looks expensive. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you one of the, uh, the Netflix uh, movies coming next year is Riz Ahmed in Hamlet. Yes, I saw that. That's exciting. He's going to play the titular role in this adaptation of William Shakespeare. Oh, William Shakespeare wrote it. A uh, famous play. Diddy though. Contemporary Diddy, Diddy though. Diddy. 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 I've seen Anonymous. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, this handle will be a contemporary adaptation uh, set in the modern-day London of economic and political uncertainty. Where did they get that from? Uh, the story follows the intersecting themes of familial honour, spelt without the U, uh, moral duty and dynastic corruption. There you go. Jim yeah. Wilson will produce. Well done, Jim. Good for Riz. I think Riz Ahmed is great. It's yeah. an interesting time, though, because obviously the, the, I don't know, to use a, a probably a stupid way of putting it, the algorithm is changing. You know, we've got new David Fincher and, and a new Noah Baumbach film both coming to Netflix this yeah. week. This is going to, it sounds like they're accelerating it considerably. So, I don't know. It's um, Bright's going to be interesting because Bright is the first, I would say, proper big movie that Blockbuster. ordinarily it's a hundred million isn't it yeah it's a hundred million dollar well, movie that's what you're saying you know it's, it's Will Smith yeah so for Will Smith of all people to do a movie that isn't going to be debuting in cinemas mm. that's interesting it's funny because Chris Nolan's got a real bee in his bonnet about this from a philosophical point of view because he sees it as basically destroying the cinematic art form as only Chris Nolan would uh, but it's interesting isn't it because it is taking things out of theatres it, it is a sea change for movies yeah, I was just listening to a podcast with Joe Dante last night where he was saying it's just not the same seeing a film, particularly a comedy at home, as yeah. it is. It's a completely different experience seeing it in a big room where the lights go down. And Yeah. I, I think you're actually absolutely right, and I think it is it is comedies more than your your Star Wars, your Pacific Rims, that benefit from that. Not, not the big screen, but the communal viewing experience. Because when we saw Thor Ragnarok... Uh, I thought it was very smart of Disney that the first screening was the big multimedia, everyone in the room, so the laughs were contagious. Yeah. And I wonder if, you know, if you're on your own sitting in a Disney screening room watching it, you know, you'd be like, is this funny? Is yeah. it just me? Well, Dante was, Dante was talking about how older comedies would actually be edited to give the audience time to laugh, so you can't yeah. watch a yeah. Marx Brothers yeah. movie yeah. at home because they're just big pauses <laughs> after, and it just re- it plays really weirdly. So I don't think they still edit comedies like that, or maybe they'll stop doing that more. But um, you're right, watching a comedy at mm. home is yeah. nowhere near the same experience. I mean, we're, we're reviewing uh, Thor Ragnarok on next week's show, not this week. 
but is out on Tuesday. But that screening, there's a sense of occasion about 2,000 people packing into a screening and going nuts and applauding and, you know, I don't know, I'm going to need a bigger living room. Mm. In order and more that, friends. In order to replicate that. Ah, that's fine, I'll just, you know, invite some people I know. <laughs> It'll be good. Here is some news. Um, we're going to end the news section of this because you can't follow this. Parker Selfridge is back. Yeah. Now, your silence speaks volumes because you, you I'm reading into that, that you immediately know A, who he is, yeah, and B, we do. your excitement. I think we do. I think most people probably don't. Shall like, we... oh yeah, there was a film called Avatar and Giovanni Ribisi was in it and he played that suit guy who didn't really do much. No, he's coming back for all ten of the sequels, so that's good. He did He did play some golf, office golf. He did play he office did. golf, that's very true. He did. Um, he's the guy essentially in charge of, is it RDA? Are they called RDA, the mining company? Yeah. He's watched, the one you saw on. this film recently. I did, I did, but I've forgotten the acronym. Um, Why is everybody from the first movie coming back? But, but but the problem is, why is everybody from the first movie coming back for all of the sequels, thereby removing any tension as to what's going to happen to them? That's a bit problematic, do we not think? Should we not just say, yes, they will be returning and leave it open and vague? Well, maybe we're being lied to. Maybe we are being lied to. It wouldn't be the first time. Maybe Parker Selfridge is the hero. They're toying the with the emotions movies. of us Parker Selfridge fanatics. Yeah. Listen, well, Parker Selfridge wants to blow up the Navi. I am fully behind him. You're not meant to say that. Yeah, Stick it to the mate. Absolutely destroy <laughs> home tree. Burn it to the ground. Does this mean there's going to be a lot more golf in the sequel? Uh, I, I think, would hope yeah. so. It's going to be it's going to be like Tin Cup on Pandora. <laughs> mm. I'd love that. The third Avatar film is just a massive golf <laughs> tournament, <laughs> or it's like Caddyshack, where there's like a sort of blue gopher and uh, Navi Gilmore. Yeah, uh, that would be amazing. Yeah. So let's hope it is it is Caddyshack on Pandora. I'm fully on board. I'm fully on board. If Giovanni yeah. Ribisi is back and going to town on the Navi with a golf club, then yes. Uh, oh God! Why are you such a Navi hater? I just they, they... can I remind you, you gave this film five <laughs> blue stars. <laughs> yes, you did. Well, uh, what's happened? No, to you, no, man? no, no. And no, let's 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 back up a bit because everyone it's become very fashionable to be hating on Avatar, and Avatar is you and I are pretty much the only people who are kind of going. <laughs> I'm not hating on Avatar. I'm hating on the Navi. The Navi are great. Avatar is great. Everyone who thinks it is not great needs to rewatch it because if it is you very were good. stuck in a lift with a Navi, with a Navi, well, you they... would revise your opinion. Well, yes, because they're minutes. huge and there'd be no they'd room. They'd be trying to plug into the lift console. <laughs> they'd be doing all sorts of... They'd be yeah. getting on your nerves. You'd be going, God, get out. And nine feet tall. It'd be really... Oh. Yeah. Maybe I need to revisit it. Perhaps you do. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's very good. It has aged extremely well. Uh, and also a thing that I, uh, I realised uh, James Cameron... Uh, mentioned to me clang uh when we talk, <laughs> when we talked about this which i completely forgot to write up as a news story though was in fact news is that he's uh re-releasing avatar before the sequels come out remastered in 4k and hdr uh and his thing on this he said the you know 4k is 4k but he said the hdr makes it a very uh a very impactful experience so yeah. that's high dynamic range contrast should we have one last guest squeeze one last guest in and then we'll talk about the uh this week's movie reviews this week's final guest is a legend. Uh, we love him at Empire, but another podcast loves him as well and created the popular meme revolving around him. But we say ha to that. We say ha to Jason Isaacs, for it is he, the star of Event Horizon, Harry Potter 2, Harry Potter 3, Harry Potter 4, and some other films as well. Uh, he's got a double whammy at the moment. He is in Star Trek Discovery, which is out on Netflix. And he can be seen this week as well 
in the death of Stalin, Armando Iannucci's razor-sharp satire we'll be talking about in two seconds. Who interviewed Chase Isaacs? John Nugent? John Nugent interviewed him, and, and we're getting him back in a couple of weeks where I will be speaking to him. Um, oh, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah along with uh, Sonequa Martin-Green. That's right. Excellent. We should pencil that in uh, to avoid situations like this week. <laughs> so we should we should do that. Yes, yes, we okay, should. Okay, good. We'll do that. So here it is, uh, Jason Isaacs. Enjoy. Thank you. So we are thrilled to be able to say on the Empire Podcast, hello to Jason Isaacs. Uh, hello back to you podcastees. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm pretty good, actually. I've just had a couple of days talking about this film everywhere, and uh, I'm embarrassed to say that I love it. I think it's a really great film, and I've watched it kill audiences. So uh, there have been times in my life where I've had to go around telling people to go and see something that's maybe not that good. Uh, this is great. Yeah. Well, the film, obviously, is The Death of Stalin. I just nodded to you. <laughs> it's not much use. Yeah, that's right, I nodded. Yeah, we could hear the, the, the air you could feel it. moving okay. towards the microphone. Um, you, you, so you play General Zhukov, is that right? So my... Zhukov. Zhukov. I, think, right. well, I don't know, it's Russian, isn't it? I'm sure it's a whole bunch of guttural noises that I can't make, but yeah. You play it with a sort of Yorkshire brogue, don't you? So, what would brogue mean? I, I'm not I'm confused sure. about the word brogue. I've heard it applied to Irish, but never anything else. And also means shoes. <laughs> How's that work? Right. You don't play it with any sort of shoe-based accents. No, I don't. Uh, there's a weird thing that some journalists have been saying, uh, I wonder why uh, he decided not to go with Russian accents. But the fact is that if you spoke with a Russian accent, you'd be, you'd be telling the audience you're speaking your second language. Yes. Anybody who's speaking with a foreign accent is not speaking their own language. All these people uh, in, uh, are from different parts of the Soviet Union. They're speaking with their own accents. So when I got the script, I've, it came with a note from Armando, and uh, I did a little bit of research on, on Zhukov. First of all, I read the script, and it's ridiculously funny and nasty and scabrous and venal, hmm. like all of his stuff. But I, um, I looked him up, and he was the only person who could talk to Stalin bluntly, because uh, Stalin killed anybody who, hmm. who he th- even thought might have had uh, not even a word to say about him, but tilt an eyebrow the wrong way. But he couldn't do anything with Zhukov, because Zhukov had won the Second World War almost single-handedly. And, um, and he controlled the Red Army. So Zhukov was, is incredibly direct and blunt and rude to anybody he mm. feels like being rude to. And the bluntest people I've ever met are Yorkshiremen. So I phoned Armando and I said, listen, thanks for the offer, mate. Brilliant. Uh, I'd love to do it, but can I do it in a Yorkshire accent? You're not doing Russian accents, are you? He said, fuck no. And I said, so is Yorkshire all right with you? And he said, well, Steve Buscemi's doing it in Brooklyn. Paul Whitehouse yeah. is Cockney. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor is doing it some kind of a feat Californian so I don't see why you shouldn't do it Yorkshire and um, if he'd said no I don't know what I would have done because I, I literally I read it uh, and I only heard one voice in my head and um, did you base it on anyone was it a specific Yorkshireman you're thinking of I was actually I was thinking of yeah. Brian Glover okay. the actor Brian Glover yeah. just because this man Zhukov uh, I, there's a bunch of stuff obviously written about him because he uh, was such a huge figure in history but mostly it was the photographs that told me everything I need to know about him yeah. he's the man that decided he was going to wear all 12,000 of his medals <laughs> and he had this big barrel chest and uh, and he started that fashion and all the other yeah. Russian generals wore thousands of medals they all looked like Idi Amin on acid you know? and uh, <laughs> so uh, I went to the costume department and I said can I have uh, can I have a big chest? And they went, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you do some push-ups. And I went, no, no, can you build me a big chest in the jacket? So they started putting padding, and they all kind of looking at each other, uh, feeling, thinking I was doing something strange. And maybe it was. But uh, I said, I now need some shoulders. And they did it. And I said, now my arms look like twigs. I need some biceps and triceps. And they built me a big torso. Oh, wow. Uh, and uh, there's more room for medals, obviously. But also, you just you put that, strap that thing on, Open your mouth, speak in New Yorkshire accent. So there was a whole character. Uh, you have the the privilege in this film of kissing um, Steve Buscemi on the lips. Yes, 
Uh, On and off camera. He's a very friendly guy. Off camera as well. Well, you know, you have to rehearse for a week or two. <laughs> How many I'm takes? not sure that was scripted. I'm trying to remember if that was scripted. It's hard to remember what was and what wasn't. Um, yeah, it's not... I mean, one of the many, many great joys of this film is I get to do loads of scenes with everybody. Yeah. And it is packed wall-to-wall yeah. with comic geniuses uh, and or people that I've admired in, in other ways. So Simon Russell Beale, who I have known uh, for a very long time, but not particularly well, yeah. I've known him... I met him when we were student actors, and then I've seen him on stage be... I guess England's foremost Shakespearean actor. He's mm. a genius. Mm. I've never seen him be funny before. Uh, but I've seen him with Simon, I've seen him with Jeffrey Tambor, who is a god. Mm. And the, I worshipped the ground he walked on. I tried very hard not to drool and just faint in his company. It was like, <laughs> you know, being a 15 year old girl meeting the Beatles in 1963. Yeah. I could recite back at him every word he's ever spoken on the film, all the way through Larry Sanders and really? uh, Rest of Development and, and uh, even in Transparent recently. And Michael Palin, mm. who was a schoolboy. I, I was walking around the you know, the playground, imitating very badly. And I had to pretend that I was feeling they were my colleagues and there was just people I was hanging out with having lunch. <laughs> but the entire time, I couldn't stop pinching myself. I go, I come into work and Michael Palin would go, morning, Jason. I'd think, Michael Palin knows my fucking name. <laughs> Michael Palin knows my name. I, I did want to talk a little bit about Star Trek, if you don't mind. No, no, um, you like. Uh, because, you know, that is obviously very big at the moment. You've encountered... Uh, fan bases in the past yeah um, have you ever encountered a fan base like the Trekkies no and I've only just started although what's weird is there's a lot of people pretending to be Star Trek yes. fans who are actually part of white supremacist race, race hate groups and when it was announced that Sonequa Martin-Green is playing the lead in this I'm, I'm mm. the captain but it's the first time the show's not been about the captain mm. and she's a young black woman um, the, all these people came out they started a hashtag white genocide so people are going, Where, where's all the white men? Because, of course, that's what we need on screen, is more <laughs> middle-aged white men. Um, and uh, it's an odd thing to come across the, the people who pretend, I'm not watching Trek now because it's all just politically correct bollocks. And you go, where have you been? That's what Star Trek always was. That yes. was the point of Star Trek exactly. in the first place. At the first interracial kiss, we've got first gay couple in Star Trek. And, and uh, you know, the point, of Gene Roddenberry, when he started and came up with the thing, there was... Race riots in the streets and the civil rights movement was being born, and he wanted to present a vision of the future where people could work together and mm. where, you know, uh, uh, it was about inclusion and not uh, division. Uh, and so it's weird that some people are pretending to be Trekkie fans, but the real Trekkie fans are amazing. Mm. The level of obsession and passion that they have. Um, and then, unlike the Potter fans, they're, they're adults. They've chosen to do this, and they've chosen <laughs> to do it with their spare time, sometimes for 50 years. So yeah. they're pretty protective yeah. of uh, what they see as Trek. So you know, there are some vocal ones who are furious about whatever, the design of the Klingons or the fact that there's three lights instead of two lights on yeah. the face or whatever. What they don't know is that inside the writer's room are people who are even more obsessive than they are. And they argue yeah. about what they call canon, uh, which is, you know, what is what exists in the mythology of the Star Trek world. Mm. And those people in the room know every single word of every episode and every film that's ever been made. And they can argue for weeks like kind of, you know, biblical scholars about whether you can or can't have a single triple on a desk <laughs> instead of two. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of mad, you know, I, but, I, but very, very enjoyable to be around, even the ones who are furious. It's thrilling to be around that enthusiasm. Well, well exactly. I mean, I'm enjoying your uh, responses on Twitter to some of them. I think I saw somebody, you said you, you, you took the part just to annoy specifically him. Well, you know, <laughs> when someone goes, oh, I don't like it, don't watch this, it's terrible. Watch, you know, the Orville instead of the real starter. Yeah. It was fine. They were entitled to their opinion. And, uh, and, and yeah, it's more grist than mill. They they love meeting other Trekkies and talking mm. about it. And they you know online or in real life, probably online. I'm not sure they meet face to face. But anyway, um, 
and that's great. But when they fill up, when they when they tweet every five minutes, and then I've looked down and it's you know I've got to scroll down until I get repetitive strain injury in my thumb just to get past it. Kind of, you go, oh, I've had enough of you now. That's you know, it's time to slap you down. And I, nobody's that witty in real life. But when you've got time to come up with a nice wildian mm. you know, heckler put down, and you can type it, and it makes it look like you're a uh, you know fabulously witty off the cuff. Uh, it's <laughs> Sometimes I can't resist it. I, I would like to ask, if I may, about uh, another Netflix show that you're on, The mm-hmm. OA, um, yeah. which I loved. Um, and we Is it nauseating for me to say I loved it too? Not at all, I obviously. thought it was amazing. It, uh, I mean, not my bits, obviously, because that would be nauseating. But uh, when I shot my bits, I obviously didn't see any of the other bits, yeah. and I barely read them because I was off at the part overnight and had to get on a plane. So I skimmed through the bits I wasn't in yeah. and hadn't thought about them for you know, a year till it came on air and I was completely blown away mm. the first thing I thought was by the way if you've not seen the OA pause this podcast go away <laughs> for eight hours and watch it and come back yeah. um, first thing I thought was fuck I might not even be real mm. when I watched it I thought I might be a figment of her imagination yeah. it never occurred to me while I was shooting that yeah. she might be telling uh, uh, the wrong story or yeah, making yeah, it up yeah, yeah. Um, but I thought what they came up with was A completely original it wasn't like anything yeah. else I'd seen and mostly, they came up with a fab- fabulously inventive and emotional ending. And that's the hardest yeah. thing to do with any story, to come up with a great ending. And uh, I just didn't see it coming or the effect it would have on me when I watched it at all. I was sideswiped by it. Yeah. I think, like a lot of people, I in- inhaled it in about two days. And uh, Well, that's quite slack. I watched it in one go. I watched eight hours. I sat till five o'clock in the morning watching it, thinking... Uh, and they sent me a link the night before because I had to do press for it in yeah. London. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll dip in and watch an hour. And five o'clock in the morning, I was the car was picking me up at six thirty, and I thought this is a mistake at three o'clock, and this is a mistake at four o'clock. I thought, fuck it, I've got to finish it now. <laughs> and I watched it, and I was kind of shaking and laughing, yeah, yeah. And crying. I had a slightly religious experience watching it, <laughs> and then I had to go meet journalists, and I think I was, a, so I was a bit hysterical when I met. I was like, it's amazing, you should watch this now. Um, but I do still stand by that. I thought mm. it was so original. So there is more, you know, there's, there's, yes. well, there's another that, series. That's yeah. what I was going to ask, is are we going to see uh, Hap again? Yeah, oh well, I don't know, so I don't know what they're writing. I asked yeah. them not to tell me okay. what they were writing, because, as you know, having seen it, it could go anywhere. Yes. Anything can happen. Uh, I don't know how much I'm in it or not. I know that I'm doing some, and we start in January. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's exciting. But you don't know anything more than that? You. Well, they did tell me so. I went out for dinner. Okay. I was a bit jet-lagged. I went to Los Angeles for a couple of days to publicise... I can't remember if it was Death of Stalin or Star Trek or something. But uh, anyway, I was in Los Angeles, and I had dinner with uh, one of the co-writers, the director, and he started to tell me stuff, and I was, I was either I was jet-lagged or what he was telling me was so surreal and mind-blowing I couldn't take it, but I, my head hurt. And I went, you can't tell me anymore. Wow. I don't understand. I know it's going to be brilliant. I'd rather just see it when you send me the scripts. Yeah, intriguing. Well, we, we look forward to that. Uh, it is customary on the Empire Podcast mm-hmm. to ask you about Event Horizon. Um, <laughs> it's it is just a. It's uh, just had its anniversary. Well, it's it, just had its exactly, 20th anniversary. anniversary. Did yeah. you do anything to to mark the occasion? Did you? Uh, I I slaughtered some people and, <laughs> and hung them up by their colon. Uh, no, but I was a. I think I was at a convention. I was at like, New York Comic Con or something for, for Star Trek. I, remember, I was somewhere at a convention when people came up and kept wishing me happy birthday and I was like, what the <laughs> living fuck is going on here? Um, but it was, yeah, it was 20 year anniversary and I, they, they had photographs and I looked and saw the child version of me yeah. pretending to be a space doctor and uh, it's amazing. I, well, I mean, 
it's true of so many of the things that I've done that they were terrible flops when they came out, but have gathered a cult following right. over the years, but none more so than Event Horizon. Yeah, I mean, we, we talk about it constantly in the Empire office. I, <sighs> I, I watched it the first time, I think, when I was about 10 or 11 years old. I think it was on right. the TV and Nightmares for two weeks. So no, it's a brilliantly made film. And it's one of those films where... Um, you know, there's some terrible. Well, there's many, many cliches when it comes to public, publicizing uh, television or films, and one of them is that the location is a character. In mm. it. Um, but those those sets, really, I remember the the ship. I remember the ship so well. The design of it, it felt like a place. Mm. Even when we went to it, it's in, obviously it's built in the studio, but it felt like a place. And there was the Lewis and Clark, the ship we arrived on, which was light and white and kind of friendly. And then maybe it's because they put organic material on the wall to be blood and body parts. And as we shot, it rotted and smelt more over oh, the man. period of time. But there was something really forbidding and unpleasant about being on the event horizon. It's odd doing Star Trek recently. Is that next time? Yeah, that's the last time I went to space. <laughs> so I'm back in space. So I keep didn't waiting. Didn't end well for, for you last time. So. No, it didn't end well. I'm hoping that things end better this time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think I'm almost out of time, uh, but the last time we had you on the podcast, Jason, oh. was the uh, 200th edition. I don't know if you remember. You were in front of a live audience at the Prince. Oh, Charles of course, I remember that. Yeah, of course, I did. Um, which was great fun. We, we, you know, we're coming up to 300 no. episodes. So, you know, how can you have gone 100 without having me back? I, I know. I've, I've had things out for God's sake. I know. For goodness sake, what's going on? Um, but you know, if say we were to do another live show, yeah. how, do you, how do you feel about making a return appearance? Uh, perfectly fine. Yeah. I, 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 you know, the Empire. F- readers uh, are people who love film and and my experience over the years with uh, Chris your grandfather uh, who I've been interviewing (laughs) every time hello Chris uh, is that it's you know there's people who work they love film they love film all kinds of film as well you know they're not embarrassed to love really commercial films they're not embarrassed to love really popcorn films but also champion obscure films if they think they're worth seeing and uh, they're big fans of skeletons and Mm. help uh, our little film skeletons get an audience Mm. and uh, it's 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 a cracking magazine it's been around Long to, almost as long as me. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, we, you know, we're big fans of Jason Isaacs. Um, oh, thanks very much. So You'll always be big welcome. Fans, in a cheesy way, I'm going to bring it back to Death of Stalin, which comes out on Friday. Nice. Because um, you can't put this on the poster, uh, and I'm not a reviewer, so uh, my endorsement means nothing. But it's fucking brilliant. There we go. There we go. <laughs> on that note, Jason Isaacs, thank you so much for thanks your time. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay, so that was Jason Isaacs there, and uh, we would normally start the uh, the review section by talking about the big release of the week. And technically speaking, I guess that is Thor Ragnarok, which is out on Tuesday, uh, next Tuesday, the twenty fourth. We're getting it really early, uh, I guess, maybe in term time for half term. Who knows? We all really, really liked it, Jimbo. And you wrote the review, but we're. Well, I think we should probably wait until next should, week. Should we, we just? Should we just? Should we just it? read the quote off the official poster? And, and sum it up that way, which says, the boldest, most outrageously fun film Marvel has yet produced, Empire James Dyer. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think that that's really the definitive word and, and really all we need to say. You got on the poster. <laughs> this is Amazing. triumphant gate all it over is. again. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm back, bitches. That's oh, my God. Exciting. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's a, very, it's a very, very funny film. We'll get into it in detail next week, and we'll get into it in even more detail in our spoiler special with director Taika Waititi uh, we, we pulled the film apart and that's going to be up on November 6th November 6th so three three or four days after the film comes out in the States we get it really early um, but because there's quite a lot to get through movie wise it's out today Friday the 20th that's why we're going to focus on Thor next week and let's start with The Death of Stalin and Nick this is yeah. Armando Iannucci's second movie as director on the big screen uh, following In the Loop which I thought was fantastic and should have should have garnered a uh, an Oscar nomination, I think, for Peter Capaldi, who was amazing in that film. And this is roughly in the same vein as 
his work on Feep and The Thick of It and, of course, In the Loop. Yeah. But with a much, much darker tinge. So what's what's this film about? What can you, what can you say? It's, it's a very, very funny film, which shouldn't be surprising given Iannucci and the other people involved in it, but it doesn't sound funny from the, you know, it's called The Death of Stalin and it is set in 1953 in Russia... Um, at a very dark time in history, when the you know the government was executing people and imprisoning people, and it, all kinds of horrible things going on in Russia. But the amazing thing is that Iannucci manages to turn it into comedy gold. It's just really, really, really funny. So it's, it's kind of pushing what he does with Veep, as you said, like but yeah. to its furthest possible conclusion. Yeah, because in, in Veep and uh, in the thick of it the most that can happen to someone. You have this great sparky banter and this very witty banter and the most that can happen to someone is they can lose their jobs or they can get demoted and that's it. Or, or you know, in some cases, obviously go to prison. But in Death of Stalin, you are a a poorly chosen word away from having one in the brain. Exactly. At any point. Yeah, there's a great scene where um, Stalin is hanging out with his highest up cronies and they're all laughing and stuff and cracking jokes. And then one of them goes home and is talking to his wife and going through every single joke he made and reporting back whether Stalin laughed yeah. at it or not. Yeah. So that the next time they know which bits to skip. Yeah, yeah, everyone yeah. in this film is terrified and panicking. And, yeah. Because, yeah, they're one, yeah they're, they're, the firing squad is looming over everyone. Yeah. And ta- everyone is scheming against each other. And so you've got these great characters played by the likes of, you've got Michael Palin, you've mm-hmm. got um, Simon Russell Beale, you've got, um, mm-hmm. yeah, Jason Isaacs is in there, Jeffrey Tambor is really, really funny, and everyone is just constant state of panic. It's it's brilliantly written. The dialogue mm-hmm. is great because everyone is being so careful with their words and nobody is saying exactly what they mean. Yeah, there are a couple of moments in this movie that, that for me were really Python-esque. There's a there's a moment at the beginning of the movie where Paddy Constein plays a, a a guy who is overseeing a a recording of an orchestra and Stalin himself because the, the movie obviously is about the death of Stalin but Stalin is a character for the first twenty minutes or so of the movie and Stalin calls up Paddy Constein and goes just after the orchestra had finished playing and goes that was I want a recording of tonight's yeah. Or yeah, I want to record it of tonight's performance, and then there's a whole back and forth on the phone. Like, what did he say? When did he say it? And it's it's you know the, because if you get this wrong, if you get this wrong, he knows he will be killed. And it's a very funny sequence that manages to mine uh, humor from this, the darkest of subject matters. I wasn't as blown away by this movie, if I'm completely honest, as you were. And I know a lot of people have. This is probably the best reviewed comedy of the year. Mm. Um, hasn't had a lot of competition, in fairness. But you gave this five stars, Nick, and you absolutely adored this. I just thought it was masterful. The the mastery of tone, because this would have been so easy to get wrong. And I mean, you look at it, and I think it's a miracle that it's as funny as it is. But it's not funny all the way through, and there are points where it does just address the darkness. And there's one character in particular who is the stuff he does is, is unspeakably horrible. And there mm. are points in the film where he, they just stop trying to be funny and it just and it, it goes back and forth between that kind of seriousness and the, the big, broad, kind of farcical laughs. It's, it, I thought it was just very, very deft the way it does it. So I, I've seen it twice. Um, I thought it was just as good the second time. So mm. I recommend everyone to go see it. It's interesting because I, I found the movie, you know, obviously you, you can appreciate the, uh, the artistry of the script and the performances are great. I felt that it was a bit too claustrophobic and oppressive for me. Mm. It was a bit too grey and a bit too dark. And, and I, I get that that's the point. And I get the idea is that these guys are monsters who could kill you at any point as they rush to fill the power vacuum left by Stalin's death. 
but I felt it was just a little bit too unrelenting with that. I think you know, even in the darkest of comedies, I I I need a character that I can latch onto. Yeah. Um, I need a character that I can, you know, just at least not not necessarily like, but empathise with. And I think you have that in the thick of it. I think you have it in In the Loop, where where amazingly, um, Ian Uchi and Capaldi even managed to make you feel sympathy for Malcolm Tucker. Uh, and I think you have it in Feep with Anna, Anna Klumsky's character and uh, maybe a couple of other characters. In this, everybody is unsympathetic. Everybody is unlikable. I guess Olga Korolenko. Um, yeah, this is that's true, but she's not really. She's in it not that really much in to it too much. There are a few characters which are more sympathetic, but it certainly stays with the worst people. Yeah, and follows them. Mm. And I guess you just have to kind of either go with it or not. It's definitely not a world you want to live in. It's not Pandora. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to. Yeah, you probably think Pandora's worse. But um, no, but I like Pandora. It's just a bloody navy. Uh, so there we go. Five stars then for the death of Stalin. And uh, let's move on then to Brawl and Cell Block 99. We have an interview with Vince Vaughn and the director S. Craig Saller, uh, which will be out next week. That may even go up as a special uh, yet to be decided. But uh, this film is out in cinemas this week. It's also going to be hitting uh, download uh, pretty much immediately. So you'll be able to watch it in the comfort of your own home as well. But I tell you what, this film should be seen with an audience because it is an experience. Uh, so this is uh, S. Craig Saller's follow-up to Bone Tomahawk. And anyone who saw that film, uh, which is a kind of a Western that takes a sudden, late lurch into horror territory and uh, doesn't doesn't mess around and is really gory, go- and is really gory and grim. This is in much the same vein, although it's it's a modern bleak, dark, gritty thriller uh, that reinvents Vince Vaughn in a really surprising way. He plays a guy called Bradley who is uh, a mechanic who's made redundant at the beginning of the film. He then uh, decides to try and make money for his pregnant wife, played by Jennifer Carpenter, his wife that he, they want to get pregnant. So he decides to basically start drug running. Uh, he then gets captured, sent to prison, and then Presumably has some kind of fight in a certain part of the prison. That It gets there eventually. It gets there eventually. This is a movie that is full of slow burns. Uh, it is 70 minutes before the, the, the words cell block 99 are even mentioned. Uh, it takes about 50 minutes for Bradley to even wind up in prison. But once there, he quickly finds himself under the auspices of Don Johnson's really nasty warden tugs. And he finds himself in cell block 99, which is hell on earth. And there he has to do something. And that something requires extraordinary violence of the kind that you don't really see in (laughs) movies these days. And the emphasis here as well is on prosthetic effects and real effects and practical effects. So I won't ruin it for everybody, but let's just say bones are snapped, heads are crushed, faces are scraped off. It's a treat. It's not it for the really squeamish, Does anyone it's... get a dodgeball to the nuts? <laughs> no, sadly. I was watching it initially going, this is the weirdest dodgeball sequel I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, but it is, I absolutely loved it. Uh, you guys were watching, because I watched this, I watched this on a, on a, the way you don't really want to watch this at all, a screening link on my computer in, in the office ahead of the interview with uh, Vince Vaughn and, and S. Craig Soller because I couldn't make a screening. So they sent me a screening link, uh, which obviously has your name on it, it has your name on it, so you make, it makes you feel like you're the star of the movie constantly. But... I was watching it with headphones, so not to disturb you guys as well. And like, <laughs> once the violence begins in this film, it is oh, ah, 
oh my god kind of violence and yep. but there's one moment in particular where I just I went okay right I absolutely get what you're going mm. for here now this is I'm I have no other choice but to laugh at the audacity of what you've just done and that maybe that makes me a sicko maybe it makes Salah a sicko I don't know but there's one moment I just went <laughs> Okay. All right. I'm in. All right. Okay. Fair enough. You got me. But I, this will not be to everyone's taste. Um, but it, Vince Vaughn is fantastic in this film, and that, that's one of the reasons why I'm really looking forward to Drag to Cause Concrete because the man is six foot five inches and is a big unit. And this is one of the few films. I mean, some films in the past have tried to make to take advantage of that and tried to cast him in a slightly creepy light. Uh, but in this movie, he is just he is, you know, you would not want to be trapped in a lift with him either. Mm. That because thing he he's... does to Steve the pirate is just, just <laughs> it's just unnecessary. Uh, I thought this was fantastic. I really want to see it with the audience because I want to see those those audience reaction moments and see what people do. Apparently, apparently, someone told me there was a press screening of this and the security guard who was watching the film because all the screenings we go to, well, not all, but most screenings we go to, have security guards there to make sure that we're not going to, you know, be completely unprofessional and film the movie and put it on the internet. So they're there to, you know, watch it with with, with us. And these are hardened guys, you know, these are tough guys. Again, people you wouldn't, you know, they're all lovely, but you wouldn't even get on the wrong side of them. And, so they, and they never react in the films at all. They just sit there and watch the film stoically. But there was a, probably the same moment as well. Apparently the security guard was going, Jesus fucking Christ! Out <laughs> <laughs> loud. Amazing. I watched, uh, I watched the M. Night Shyamalan film, The Visit. Right. And it was just me and a security guard in this room, and he got so freaked out by it. He was just going, <laughs> no! Was it, was, it the bit, was it the bit with the nappy? I think it was probably the nappy bit, but it was, it was throughout, I think. He was obviously, you know, some grandparent issues, but... <laughs> All right. Well, I, I only have seen this film. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, four stars. It is one of my films of the year. Go and see it if you can. Brawl and Cell Block 99, especially go and see it with an audience. All right. What's left? Jungle. 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 Yes. Greg McLean's film. This is. Uh, Jungle is massive. Jungle. Jungle is massive. Yes, Nick. <laughs> Indeed it is. Um, this is Daniel Radcliffe as Yossi Ginsberg. This is the true story of uh, an Israeli backpacker who gets lost in the South American wilderness and spends two weeks living on bugs and, frankly, bird embryos and stuff like that. It's, it's quite harrowing. Um, beautiful cinematography. Stunning. Absolutely stunning leaves and trees and things. Um, <laughs> it's very, very pretty. I do recommend it. It's not the most fast-paced thing. I mean, the the story doesn't really kick in till about an hour into the film. Um, and, you know, it's it's very hard to be sympathetic with someone who meets a random Austrian in a market and decides to follow him into the jungle, uh, which is something our parents all told us not to do. Uh, and yet this happens. It's... It's based on Ginsberg's autobiography, so there's no surprise really how it ends. Um, but Radcliffe's really, really good. I mean, he's, he's kind of unrecognisable beneath a kind of scraggly beard and a, and a thick Israeli accent. But he plays it very, very well and sort of gradually unravels in the wilderness. Um, but the film itself is perhaps not the most compelling. And if it were a choice between that and re-watching The Edge, you know, I would be with Anthony Hopkins and Ali Baldwin. What this, can do? this is the second character named Ginsburg, played by Daniel Radcliffe. Is it now? That's maybe he's Alan going Ginsburg. for. It was the last. Yeah, oh, Alan yeah, Ginsburg, who are darling? So maybe he's going for the hat trick. Well, there you go. There so go. yeah. So if that's... you're called Ginsburg, then if it's you're very Ginsburg, likely Daniel Radcliffe it. will be making a biopic about you very soon. <laughs> if you like jungles, watch it. Um, and yeah, good. <laughs> good. We gave this two stars. I specifically gave it two stars. Professional film reviewer James Dyer says, good, and yeah. two stars. Yeah, that didn't make the poster weirdly. 
No, this is true. No. Um, so you, you you'd recommend people don't go see this? I, I, it's very hard to recommend. It's quite boring. But we appreciate. <laughs> but we appreciate the effort and thought. Radcliffe, yes. Radcliffe. It was a lovely thought. It's like an unwanted present at Christmas time. Thank you. I appreciate the thought, but I'm probably taking this back for gift vouchers. <laughs> okay, yeah. If you're going to watch it, it's, it's for Daniel Radcliffe really because he goes for it probably mm. with his performance. And I like. He kind of goes full Gollum in the second half. He does. Um, but yeah, he's you know after Swiss Army Man, he's he's pretty fearsomely committed to putting himself through discomfort. It is in many ways a natural companion piece to Swiss Army Man. There is a point where he covers himself in fire ants for no discernible reason, which I think we should all try at one point. But um, Does he try and find his way out of the woods using his erection as a GPS? The, I believe that bit was cut. It's unsure why, <laughs> but that scene did not make the theatrical edit. Oh, well, what a shame. So, uh, two stars then. Two stars. Not a recommendation, sadly, for Jungle, but we, we admire and respect Daniel Radcliffe. Well done, him. All right, then, to the last film that we're going to review this week uh, is Geostorm. And, Nick, this is a film we've been looking forward to for a long, long time. This was embargoed. We should say this. This was embargoed until 1 p.m. We're literally recording this. Uh, it's now 1.41 p.m. The review has gone up on the website. And I, I, I'm sorry, Jerry Butler, if you are listening to this, uh, we did not love your film. Did it live up to expectations? Because you were expecting a car crash, in a way. You were expecting one of those movies is so bad it's good. Yeah, I was kind of expecting a car crashing into a spaceship that is plummeting towards Earth. Um, I, yeah, I, I was hoping for glorious action trash um, in the, the vein of Con Air. It does deliver that, but only for really the last half hour of what is a two-hour film. Uh, I really enjoyed the last half hour when it just goes bonkers. Yeah, Ironically, Jared Ger- Butler is not really involved in the most fun bits of action that the mm. film has to offer so there's a lot of plot stuffed into one film oh my god there is a, yeah. it's kind of you've got a whodunit on a space station yeah while down on earth uh, Jim Sturgis is um, who, okay so Jared Butler plays the the designer of this amazing space station that can control weather and yeah. stop so natural disasters yeah basically what, what happens is in, in 2019 according to the films obviously not tacked on voiceover uh, is uh, extreme weather ravages the earth fair enough we can see that happening that's all good uh, what is maybe would maybe be surprised in real life is that Jerry Butler builds a massive satellite that saves us all so he he is a scientist called Jake Lawson and he builds this massive thing that can control weather and it can see where bad weather's happening and it can control it before it happens and so everyone's happy and everyone's saved and it's all good all. but but he oh, he just he runs his mouth off at authority doesn't he so he yeah. gets banished from the the satellite um and his own brother Jim Sturgis uh is the one who banishes him and they're estranged and then it turns out a couple of years later that someone may be using the satellite to create adverse weather conditions on Earth. Like rotters. Rotters. And so Jim Sturgis has to send his brother, the only man who knows how to use a satellite properly, back up into space. Yeah. There he has to find out the person who, who's done it. And meanwhile, Jim Sturgis is trying to find out back down on Earth what the fuck is going on. There's, yeah, there's uh, Andy Garcia is the president and there's a plot involving him and... He's kind of a secret service agent, but not an Abby Cornish is an actual secret service agent who he's going out with, but he's not meant to. There is so much going on in this film yeah. that the sequence where Gerard Butler is sent into space is like not even really a thing. It's like over in about 30 seconds. That should be a big sequence, right? And I guess mm. his character has already been in space for some reason, but it makes that weirdly not a big moment at all. 
uh, where your hero is going into space. Yeah, well, at, at, at this point in the movie, space travel is so blasé for people. You know, that it's fine. It's just like getting the, the bus. So that's, yeah. that's, it's okay like for him. Day researching, yeah. kind of thing. But it's, um, also, it's also a movie where technology has advanced that far. It's at an indeterminate point in our future. Uh, we know it's an election year, so it's probably 2028, 2032, something like that. Uh, but it's so advanced that people can just fly to space on these giant rockets at Cape Canaveral, and they've got dozens of, of space shuttles, but people still use landlines. So they haven't quite figured mm. it out mm. yet. <laughs> they haven't. Yeah, there's a lot There's a lot going on. Yeah. Um, much of this film, it's got to be said, is uh, uh, shots of men in speedos running away from waves. There's a lot of that. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Does he at any point scream, this is weather? He doesn't, he doesn't. do that. He doesn't do he that. Doesn't. I, uh, he punches someone in zero G, which is great. Um, this is a movie where you can tell who the kind of, you know, the, the cool rebels are because they, they have the top button of their shirt unbuttoned uh-huh. when they're wearing a tie. So that happens a lot. Very good. I think the reason we were expecting a real so bad is good as Munch and Popcorn cinematic car crash uh, was because this movie's had a very tortured production uh, history. Uh, it, as we said earlier on, Nick was on set two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. The original director, Dean Devlin, who was still credited with the film, uh, there were ex- there were extensively publicised reshoots last year where they brought not just a new director on, Danny Cannon, uh, but a new producer in Jerry Bruckheimer, or at least to oversee, to to be a consultant uh, in terms of the the the, the, uh, the product, and that generally doesn't bode well. Mm. You have reshoots for movies, but not necessarily where they bring in a completely new team. So we, we felt that maybe the long delay might mean that this was some sort of trash masterpiece. And I was kind of disappointed by how generic it was. Mm. Um, and it, it doesn't even have the, the sort of trump card of, oh, we're parodying disaster movies to fall back on. Well, there because, was a lot of potential in the, in the yeah. premise. I think we were talking after we saw it about, you know, this is a film where Gerard Butler is on, the hero is on a space station that can control weather, but at no point does he do that to, like, get somebody out of trouble on Earth or, yeah. you know, there's no real use of weather. It's just sort of generic montages of things happening in different yeah. countries. There is uh, a bit involving uh, a dog in peril, which I believe Roland Emmerich came in and guest directed for that weekend. There's no evidence that. That was, that was a joke, I just, just got to say. That's just a joke. Although Dean Devlin did tell me on set that um, Roland Emmerich gave him a sequence which didn't make it into 2012 and just said, here, have this. So see if you can guess which... Uh... Here, here, Dean, here's a sequence that's not good enough to get into 2012. Do you want it? Yeah, I guess. Whatever, man. Yeah. The, the, effects, is, the effects are fine. Yeah. Um, nothing is, you know, laughably cheap or No, not this bad. Thing. It's, it's not terrible. Slick, it's slick. Yeah. It's just it just feels like a bit of a waste of potential, and yeah. when you when you've got Gerard Butler, don't put him in a space station where he's just pressing buttons for most exactly. of the film. Yeah, I mean you have, um, you know, Jim Sturgis is is fine. By the way, if you do want to track the reshoots of this movie, do watch Jim Sturgis's hairstyle in this movie because I swear to God it changes from shot to shot. Uh, so maybe you can you can see which which bits were recently reshot and which bits weren't. Mm. Uh, but you're right, you know. I, Jerry Butler is a very charismatic action hero, and this movie strands him on a spaceship with a not particularly interesting mystery, um, and doesn't really give him a chance to strut his funky action stuff. And as we said in the interview, yeah. he doesn't even get a chance to punch weather. I mean, what's that about? Yeah, it doesn't go full Conair until the last, I'd say, twenty minutes. Yeah, I mean, for the, the 
all the destruction sequences are competently handled and they're well rendered and there's a, there, uh, there's a sequence I actually quite liked in uh, set in Hong Kong where uh, a, 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 a minor character is trying to escape uh, from a, a series of gas main explosions that start erupting from the streets and melting everything and bringing down skyscrapers and he's got his little electric car and he's weaving in and out of traffic while everything is going to shit around him. That's a good sequence. There's an interesting sequence in, uh, set in Brazil where, you know, where a 747 falls out of the sky and you know, there's some interesting imagery here but it all just feels a little bit seen that, done that, bought the t-shirt. And Dean Devlin, who's a man who obviously I think helped invent this genre with Independence Day, doesn't really bring anything new to the table. And then you have this sequence, you have this, this, this structure where you strand your two heroes hundreds of thousands of miles apart. So you have Jerry Butler and Jim Sturgis both doing these parallel investigations, neither of which are particularly compelling because you can kind of tell who the bad guys are. But then it goes bonkers in the last half hour. And I really like that. And from that point on, you're going, this is the movie it should have been. This kind of batshit insane film with people doing nuts things and deus ex machinas coming out of nowhere every which way and nonsense dialogue and Andy Garcia bellowing a line that made me laugh a hell of a lot in this screening room and uh, there's an amazing moment as well I think the movie's the movie's trigger is almost the movie the, the pivot in which it switches is um there's an amazing sequence between Jerry Butler and Jim Sturgis where they have to communicate with each other in a secret hidden code that is one of the most nonsensical things that made us laugh again for a long long time and I just wish the rest of the movie had been like that and don't strand Jerry Butler don't strand Leonidas don't strand Mike Banning on a spaceship and give him nothing to do mm. that's that's all I'm saying but it's not as bad as expected it's not terrible but a bit of a geo yawn yeah it doesn't it doesn't entirely work uh, I gave it two stars and um, but it's a bit of a shame because there is potential there and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by, drumroll, this is a long old honours list. All right, so we got Claire Foy, star of The Crown and Breathe. That's one. Vince Fawn and S. Craig Soller to talk about Brawl and Cellblock 99, although that might be a special. Do keep your ears peeled for that one as well. Who else is on the podcast next week? Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. And... Last but not least, Tobin Bell, who plays Jigsaw, because Jigsaw is coming back in Jigsaw, which is the eighth Saw movie. Not a reboot, apparently. How that's going to work, I have no idea. But there you go, that's a hell of a lineup for next week. Until then, until that auspicious day, it is goodbye from Nick. Bye. It's goodbye from James. Bye-bye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to get trapped in a lift with a Navi. What a way to spend a Friday afternoon. Thanks for listening. Sorry for everything. Bye.